0: But we want to discuss why creation is such an important issue. You know, I can go and talk about, you know, how did dinosaurs go on Noah's Ark? You know, uh, how did people live to be 900 years old? And and where did Cain get his wife? Those type of things in our our Dinosaurs Ice Age Pre Flood World DVD. But the bottom line is, is that people go home and think, wow, you know, those are great answers. But it doesn't really set in their hearts. They don't understand why this is such an important issue. When we talked about creation philosophy for evangelism, we showed you that statistics are showing that people are leaving the church simply because they don't believe that this is true, that the Bible is the Word of God, that creation is true, and as a result, if creation isn't true, why would the rest of the Bible be true? But even more so than that, we're seeing that it is destroying the moral fabric of our society. And that is why creation is such an important issue. You see, today, uh, many people think that the creation-evolution debate is just a simple side issue. We have more important things to worry about. I mean, what about homosexuality? What about pornography? What about abortion? I mean, aren't these things that we ought to be attacking and, and going after those things, not wasting our time with this divisive issue of creation versus evolution? Well, I want to show you that the creation-evolution debate is at the very root, the very heart of all these other issues. These other issues spring up from the root of evolution. When we look at this, you're going to see that this is ultimately where lawlessness comes from. This is ultimately where homosexuality is going to stem from and pornography and all of these kinds of things. As a matter of fact, if I would give you a definition of what science is, it is basically this. It is a total collection of knowledge gained by man's observation of the physical world around him using one or more of his five senses, taste, hearing, smell, sight, or touch, to investigate the world around him, and then those observations can be repeated. But the key is this. True science is what can be observed, tested, seen, using our senses to be able to measure it. If you can't see it or touch it today, guess what, guys? It's not science. We don't see evolution happening today, do we? No, we don't see animals turning into people. Now, we see people behaving like animals because of evolution, but we don't see animals turning into people. This isn't there. Now, this is not a a slam against President Clinton here. But I want you to understand something. That there is a big difference between this ape and President Clinton. President Clinton is an intelligent human being. That monkey, that ape, that's just a dumb animal. A huge difference between these two. You see, that animal is two-dimensional, President Clinton is three-dimensional. That animal has a body, as does Clinton. That animal has a soul, as does Clinton. That animal has nothing more, but Clinton has a three-dimensional aspect. He has a spiritual nature. And we are not dumb animals. But yet evolution wants to make you think that that's all this is. It's just, it's just a matter of getting these genetic changes to take place so that you know, millions of years of genes changing you can get from a monkey to a man. No, it's so much more than that. There is a spiritual difference between an animal and a man. And we need to understand that. Now I can show you this scripturally real quickly. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, the very first verses here we see, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now that word create is to make out of nothing. Okay, man can't create anything. You guys can make a cake. You can you know, make a car. But we're really not creating anything. We are, we're taking things that God has created. We're using that to form and fashion things. Now that word create, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That means that He created you know, all the materials that we would need to make stuff. At that point, the elements, nitrogen, hydrogen, all those gases, all these things are put together right there. If you look carefully, as you go through these days of creation, that word create is not used again. You often see that God created the sun, moon, and stars. Well, yes, He did, but you also have to realize it doesn't say that. It says He made them. He, he created everything that you needed in the sun, moon, and stars right there in Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. And then He forms and fashions it into the sun, the moon, and the stars. That word create is not used again until the fifth day of creation. Go check it out. But what does that mean? That means on the fifth day, something is coming about that was not there on the first four days that now has to be brought into existence. What's new on day five that wasn't there on the first four days of creation? Life. Living things. Life came about. You know, everybody wants to find out where life began. Right there it is. God creates it. And the word for life there is nephesh. It's the same word used for soul. The life of a creature is in its blood. The nephish of a creature is in its blood. Literally, the soul of a creature is in its blood. If you have blood, you've got a soul, biblically speaking. Now, day six comes around, and He creates man. See, day five, he creates sea creatures and birds, living creatures. But day six, if he already has the dirt to make man, if he already has the soul to put it in man, why does he have to create something new on the sixth day that wasn't there on the first five days? Because you are unique. You're not an animal. He put that spiritual nature as he breathed the breath of God into us we became not just a living creature, but a spirit-filled creature. And so, keep that in mind. As we're talking about this, science just wants to make this all natural genetics. We can only, you know, through empirical science, find truth. No, how much does love weigh? We don't know. You can't scientifically prove love. Likewise, the spiritual nature, you know, we don't really understand it, but we know it's there. It gives us the ability to reason, to have a conscience, to be able to worship in God in unique ways that animals do not have. You know, animals have emotions. They'll pee on the carpet when they get scared, right? They come home and they're all excited to see you. But you put a spiritual nature in there and it heightens that. And so animals are different. In our Amazing Animals presentation, we will talk more about that and the differences between monkey and a man. But for now, I just want you to see that we don't see animals turning into people, and you never will. There's much more of a difference than just what we've talked about here. But what I want you to remember is this, that if it is not observable in the present, if you can't see it and touch it, then it is not science. It is that simple. You see, in rare circumstances, we have here a dinosaur bone. Now, this dinosaur bone, when it was dug up, it didn't have, you know, some... Uh, diary that we found with it telling me what it looked like or how it died, what its favorite food was, or who it liked to hang out with on Friday night. All it said was, Well, I'm dead. And frankly, I didn't even hear it say that. I just assumed, since I was holding its bone in my hand, that it was dead. You see, these things are simply rocks that are in the shape of what they used to be. That's all this is a rock. You know, we we go to these museums, though, and they show a dinosaur biting another dinosaur's tail or on top of its neck, and we think, wow, look at what happened. No, that's not what happened. That's their artistic idea, that's their imagination. Rocks don't tell us these things. A rock is just a rock. You see, a fossil is simply a rock that's, uh, I guess, replaced slowly, you know, little bits at a time, turned that into a rock so that it keeps the shape of what it used to be but nonetheless it's still a rock. And scientists want us to believe that we can tell all these amazing things from a rock? No. Fossils only tell us about the present because they only exist in the present. Now this woolly mammoth tooth is not a fossil. This is the real thing. This came out of a woolly mammoth in Alaska that was coming out of the glaciers. So now in this case, I can tell you what the woolly mammoth ate because it's not a rock, it's the real thing. We even find these things standing frozen perfectly upright. The food that they were eating is still in their teeth. It's even undigested in their stomachs in some cases. So now scientifically I can observe, I can look and see what woolly mammoth ate so I can tell you that is a scientific fact because we've observed it. You could smell it. If you wanted, you could eat it. Matter of fact, you know, some people have even eaten woolly mammoth steak dinners. Some people over there, the Eskimos would feed them to their dogs, use it as dog food. That is science. But can you see the difference? One we can observe and the other one we have nothing to go on outside of our imaginations and art. That is a big difference. If I would give you a definition of what evolution is, it's this. It's a belief about the past... Based upon words of scientists who were not there, who do not know everything, and who are trying to explain evidence, which, well, only exists in the present, how did it get here? And that's where science falls short, because, guys, we don't know. You know these woolly mammoths that are standing frozen, have you ever wondered how to freeze an elephant before? No, you can't freeze an elephant. It doesn't fit in the freezer, and even if it did, you couldn't freeze an elephant, you know, we've asked people at Bird's Eye Frozen Foods, how do you freeze an elephant? After they got over the question, they tell us, well, you see, you couldn't freeze an elephant because this is why we cut beef up before you hang it up in the freezer. Because in a day's time, about 12 inches of it would freeze is all. That means the heat would get locked in on the inside and the insides would rot. That's not good. So to freeze an elephant, solid, you'd have to have temperatures they think of up maybe 300 degrees below zero. We don't get those temperatures on earth naturally, do we? This speaks of a catastrophe. Now there are different opinions as far as how that could happen because not all of them are like that. But it it begs the question, how could this happen? We can only make guesses. Some have proposed that comets came busting into the atmosphere because they have temperatures of that degree and it began to snow comets in a sense they got buried in this snow, which is why they're still standing up, because they couldn't sit down. Others, like Michael Lord, and I think this is probably a better explanation, he just talks about after the flood, we had an ice age. And, and you're going to have temperature changes there that we don't normally see today. Drastic temperature changes. And normally an animal would put its rear end so that the wind is going, blowing it against that rather than its head. And then all this silt and whatnot blows up against it as it's standing there. And it would still be alive for quite a while. But then it can just kind of almost sit down on this silty kind of thing. Because that's what we see when they're buried. They're not always buried in ice. That there's silt uh, up pretty high up on their legs. So who who knows? We can only make theories. This is where science comes to an end. I, I, I just know that they were frozen alive. We can't explain exactly why. To be 100% correct about anything, you need to have a couple of requirements. Number one, you need to have been there to observe it. If you weren't there to see it, it can't be science, right? And the second thing you'd have to have is you'd have to be, well, omniscient, all-knowing, to know everything. I'm pretty sure all of you fall short on those. You know, you weren't there to see creation, were you? And you don't know everything. Maybe some of you think you do, but you don't. You see, but that's exciting to me because I do know somebody who was there, who does know everything. God, my Creator. And not only was He there, and not only is He omniscient, but He even left me a record called the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, to tell me what happened. So already, I've got a foot up on the evolutionists. Because I have a record to tell me what happened. They don't. Ken Ham, he used to say this, He says, no matter how much you know, there's always an infinite amount more to know. Which means no matter how much you know, you don't know how much more there is to know anyway, which means you don't know how much you do or don't know, which means you just don't know much at all. (laughs) You see, ask a scientist, is it true that science has changed in the past because we found new evidence? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you mean we're going to continue to find new evidence and our interpretation of science will continue to change then? Oh, certainly. So we really can't be sure about anything that's out there then. Yeah, really, we can't. So we really can't, you know, know everything about anything? No, we can't. So we really can't be sure about evolution? Oh, no, oh, no, 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 evolution, that's a fact. That is the mindset that we are dealing with here today. You can challenge anything unless it's the very foundation of evolution that that's true. And you know, probably have noticed evolution isn't even called a theory anymore in our schools. It's now called a fact. How can that be if it's not observable? We don't observe it happening today. You pick up a newspaper and you will see that they are constantly changing their minds. Every week in the newspaper, something new has been found. Changing the current believed scientific theory that they're saying is a fact. Constantly. Do you guys know, if I, as a teacher, I used to be a teacher, if I would have come into the classroom and said, Hey kids, I want you to understand, 5 plus 5 is 10. And the kids write that down. Oh, okay, all right, I got it down. And the next day I came in and I said, wait a minute, I did some more research. Five plus five, in the next chapter I learned it's actually 22. Kids go, all right, they erase that and they write it down. And about two weeks later I come in and say, kids, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I read a little bit more. Five plus five is actually 10 again. How many weeks am I going to get by with this until they don't believe anything I have to say? Probably week number two, right? Yeah, yet we continue to hold these scientists in such great esteem, yet they can't make up their minds. They keep changing their minds. Why do we keep believing them? When obviously they're showing us they don't know what's going on? Bottom line too, guys, let's say that I came in and I said, guys, what is 5 plus 5? But, whoa, before you answer, you cannot say 10. And by the way, you cannot say, you know, like things like 55. You can't use sign language or other languages. You know, dies, astray, uh, you can't use any other language. You can't use combinations of adding and subtracting, multiplying and dividing. What's 5 plus 5? Anybody want to take a guess? 17? Sure, yeah, that, that works. Yeah, anybody else want to try it? 105, yep, that'll work. Yeah, uh, 2,550, that'll work. You bet, you bet. You, you guys, any number you want will work. Why? Because when I remove the only possibility of what truth is, anything but truth becomes acceptable, doesn't it? And this is the world we're living in. They're saying, oh, we can't talk about creation. We can't talk about God. And as a result, then anything but truth has become acceptable. That's the world we're living in. But the Bible is the only key to the past. The Bible is the only key to our understanding. It must be the foundation for every thought we have. We must have a biblical worldview if we are going to find truth, guys and yet they've kicked that Bible out, so how can we have even an opinion if the foundation of all of our thinking isn't allowed? It's not an accident they're trying to kick the Bible out of schools. Do you know that the Bible, Genesis specifically, is found 200 times in the New Testament? No, I didn't mess up. New Testament, Genesis is found. 165 verses are quoted. Some of those verses quoted more than once, bringing the total to over 200 times that you can find Genesis in the New Testament. Every single New Testament author quotes it at least one time. Jesus himself quotes it many times. Why is a book that's considered to be so important in Jesus' day, now in our day, considered to be one of the most mocked at, scoffed at, chewed out, spit up books that we have? Well, I think the answer can be found in Genesis. But before I give you that... Answer, I want you to answer this question. Who wrote Genesis? Who wrote Genesis? Moses. That's what the Bible says. And do you know in John chapter 5, verses 45 through 47, Jesus we see saying this, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed my word, said Jesus. Do you hear what he's saying? If you would have believed Moses, if you would have believed Genesis, you'd believe my words. But if you can't believe Genesis, why would you believe Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Guys, If you can't believe the first part of the Bible, Satan knows you won't believe the rest of it. You won't believe the miracles of Jesus. Think about it. Are the miracles of God creating the world any greater than the miracles of Jesus raising people from the dead, turning water into wine, ascending into heaven, walking through walls, or any of these other things? A virgin birth? No. So why do you believe the miracles of the New Testament but you can't believe the ones in the Old? Well, the ones in the old just don't seem to be scientifically accurate. Well, first of all, they are scientifically accurate. And second of all, let me ask you this. You guys believe that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Why? What scientific proof do you have of that? None, do you? As a matter of fact, even if you lived back in Jesus' day, you would have to take Mary's word for it. And who of you would believe your daughter if she came home and said, Honest, it was the Holy Spirit yeah you'd say where's joseph i'm going to kill him yeah guys the only reason you believe jesus was born of a virgin mary is because you have faith that the word of god is true and yet you can't have faith to believe that it's true in genesis what's wrong Luke chapter 16, verse 31 says this, "If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one would rise from the dead. If you can't believe Moses, if you can't believe Genesis, then you're not going to believe that Jesus could rise from the dead physically. And that's exactly what's happening in our society, as that book Ken Ham wrote, "Already gone shows us. If you can't believe Moses, your kids can't believe Moses they won't believe the New Testament either. Give them time. First thing, they'll just stop going to church. Next thing, they're going to be not even believing in God. I believe that it's like Psalms 11, verse 3 states, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Today, our foundation of God as Creator, as Lawgiver, has been removed from our churches, our society, and as a result, what can the righteous do? Our churches are falling apart. Our kids are leaving. You know, you go read and you look at the very last verse in the book of Judges. It says this, When they had no king to tell them what to do, they all did what was right in their own eyes. And today we are doing what is right in our own eyes. We are practicing homosexuality. We are having abortions. We're we're, we're getting caught up in pornography. Why? Because there's no king to tell us what to do. I want you to imagine this for a moment. A a, a foundation of a house. If you build a solid structure on a solid foundation, you know what? That that structure is going to last for hundreds of years, perhaps. But if you build that same solid structure, but on a shaky foundation, it won't be long and that structure will collapse, won't it? Well, many people do not realize that the very foundation of our doctrines of the Word of God are built on Genesis. You might look at it this way as a keystone. You see here, this, these doctrines in this archway are being held up by one stone, this keystone of Genesis. If you remove that solid foundation or keystone Everything is going to fall apart, isn't it? Another thing you need to realize is the meaning of anything is tied up in its origin. For example, if you want to know what the meaning of gay is, you will look it up in a dictionary. Because if I ask somebody out on the street, what's what's the definition of gay? They'd probably tell me homosexual, right? But the true meaning is tied up in its origin. Where is its origin? Look up in a dictionary. And you will see that gay originally meant happy. But because sin is in this world, we have changed the meaning now to homosexual. But the true meaning can be found where that word first begins. Likewise, the true meaning of our Christian doctrines are going to be found where those doctrines first begin. And do you know there isn't a doctrine that I don't believe in that I can't support from Genesis I, every single thing I stand on, I can back up in the book of Genesis. Every doctrine has its foundation right there. But like I said, if you take away this keystone, it falls apart. Every one of our doctrines begins to fall apart. Now, the problem is, is people have tried to replace that keystone of Genesis and put evolution in its place. The problem is, is that is such a weak inconsistent foundation or keystone that the doctrines can't stand on it either. And they still crumble. The Bible falls apart. The the origin of sin falls apart. The origin of death falls apart. And the gospel eventually falls apart. Because the very fact that a Creator exists means something. It means that He made you. He made me. And if He made us that means He has the right to set the rules for my life, doesn't it? Yeah. And if I choose to disobey those rules, who am I going to answer to? Well, my Creator, aren't I? You bet. But if evolution is true that we are a product of chance striking primordial soup millions and billions of years ago, well, then who gets to make up the rules for your life? Well, you do. And you do. You do. And you do, 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 and that's a bunch of doo-doo, because now we have chaos, don't we? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we have exactly what's going on in our society right now. We have no king to tell us what to do, so we're all doing what's right in our own eyes. Your brains are just chance chemicals and enzymes that have come together by chance. How can you trust your own thoughts? But the bottom line is that, since your brains have evolved, who am I to tell me that your brain is worse or better than mine? We have to accept everybody's opinion. Because everyone counts. But that's not what the Scripture says, is it? No, the Scripture says there's only one opinion that counts, and that's the Word of God. Regardless of even what I think, it's the Word of God that should stand. But we are out there being taught that we have to tolerate everybody's opinion. Unless, of course, it's a Christian opinion. We can't tolerate that. Well, isn't that a little bit backwards and biased? Yeah, I think it is. And because of this, guys, we are all biased. It's just a matter of which bias is the best bias of which to be biased with. The Word of God or evolution. That's what we have to find out. And here's the thing. I want to look at a couple of doctrines here to show you that the origin, that can be tied up in Genesis here, okay? First of all, I want you to think about marriage. Why do you get married today? To please grandma and grandpa, maybe? Uh, Guys, why do we get married? I mean, it's just a piece of paper, right? Well, the meaning of anything is tied up in its origin. So if we want to understand the meaning of a marriage then maybe we need to go back to Genesis where that first marriage began to see why we are to get married. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, Jesus was speaking to the Sadducees and Pharisees and they were questioning Him about divorce. And here's the answer that He gives them. Have you not read that He which made them at the beginning? Now first of all, time out. Notice, there are people out there who will say that God put this earth here, created it and then millions of years later he put man on it. Well, interesting because when is the beginning according to this verse here in Matthew 19? Have you not read that he which made them when? At the beginning. It was at the beginning that God made Adam and Eve, not millions of years after it. But he goes on and he says, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a manly father and mother shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Do you guys believe that, that the two become one? The two become one flesh. Guys, that's packed with meaning. First of all, it means that when you sleep with somebody, the two become one I think we need to teach our young kids this. They need to know that you go and you sleep with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it's not like you're two individuals and you leave as two individuals. There is something spiritual that has taken place. This is why God tells us all other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but the sin of sexual immorality is special. That one is different. In 1 Corinthians 6, he warns us not to sleep with a prostitute because you become one with her. This is huge, guys. What does that mean if you get a divorce then? The two become one. You get a divorce? Half? I don't know. I know that God said this, I hate divorce. He says, what God has joined together, let not man tear apart. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't reasons God says you have an allowable, re- an allowable divorce. Marital unfaithfulness. Marital unfaithfulness. But what I'm saying is this, is far too many people today are getting divorced, blaming it on things that really aren't there anyway. It takes two to tango. But the bottom line is, is that when you get divorced, you become a half or something. I don't know. But you're torn apart. There is something unique that's going on here. And so we need to teach our kids that, you know... All these divorces, you know, over 50% of marriages are ending up in divorce today. But that's a worldly statistic. You take people who go to church regularly as a family, pray together as a family, worship together as a family, one in 300 are getting a divorce. If you go to the one who instituted the rules for a marriage of how a marriage should work, then those marriages are going to work. But no wonder there's so much divorce out there. We just think, ah, we're two individuals, we get a divorce, we're still two individuals. It also means that when you go to the the, the hardware store, guys, that you're not talking poorly about your wife. Or when you women get together, you're not disrespecting your husband. Because if you're putting your husband or your, your wife down, you're putting yourself down. There's a unity that goes on here in a marriage. Now, the roles of a marriage are also falling apart in our society. What's the role of a woman in a marriage? To be submissive to her husband, right? (laughs) Am I safe? To be submissive. All of these New Testament verses here, look at this, are telling you that the role of a woman is to be submissive to her husband. Every one of them. Yeah, that's the role of a woman. I don't think we need to talk what being submissive really means. At least I hope we don't. This isn't a matter of equality. It's a matter of roles. What's better, a horse or a cow? I don't know. If you want milk for your cereal, the cow is a better choice. If you want to ride into town, I'd take the horse. Likewise, a man and a woman aren't better than the other. It's just that God has created you with a different role. And these roles are falling apart in our society today. I see many men who are trying to be Mr. Moms. It doesn't work, guys. You can never replace a mother. I see women who are out there in the workforce trying to do everything a man can do. I'm sorry that you can't. You don't have the physical strength that a man has. Now, I'm not saying there aren't women out there that could clean my clock. I'm simply saying that in general, this is the case. God has created us with different roles, but we're trying to break those roles apart. And if we're not going to follow the roles God has given us in a marriage, I don't think those marriages are going to work. A woman needs to be submissive. She is to be at home training those children to be submissive to their husbands, the Bible says in Timothy. Hey, don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. It's what the Scriptures say. But today, we're continuing to perpetuate this problem because, well, frankly... Women don't want to stay home and train the children. And as a result, those children grow up and they don't know how to be submissive to their husbands. They don't know what their role is. They don't know how to take care of a household because we've neglected our roles. We've decided to do what we want to do. Our own opinions rather than what God has told us to do. And it's not just women we need to talk about here either. Fathers as well. It says in Isaiah 38, 19, Fathers to the children shall make known thy truth. Or Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers are to be the spiritual heads of the house. The spiritual heads. But you know what? Many women don't want dads to be the spiritual heads. As a matter of fact, We'll get to that in a moment, but many dads don't mind moms not wanting them to be the spiritual heads. They're willing to give up the control. They're willing to do that. Many times it's moms that are having to get you know, the kids out of bed to, to go and get to Sunday school. It's, it's the moms that even have to get dad out of bed to get up for church or Sunday school because dad's out there doing his golfing or hunting or fishing or whatever the case might be. This is not right. Fathers are to be the spiritual heads. Fathers are to be training the children in the word of God. But where is that happening today? Fathers, are you willing to do what God has ordained as your role, regardless of your opinion? It also says that a man, as a husband, is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Did Jesus come and say, hey, I want dinner at 6, rub my feet, do this, do that? How come the house isn't clean? No, He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Which means if we're going to love our wives as Christ loved the church, I guess we're going to serve our wives. Give up everything for them. That's your role as a husband. But again, are you willing to do what God has ordained for your role regardless of your opinion? You know, I'm convinced that if husbands would love their wives like that, and wives would be submissive to their husbands, if we would both be submissive to the roles that God has ordained for us in a marriage, I believe those marriages would work. Which is why when you see people who go to church regularly as a family, pray together as a family, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week, that they, you don't have that high rate of divorce anymore. Clothing. Clothing is another thing that we need to look at. Why are we wearing clothes today? You know, why are you wearing clothes tonight? Oh, because it's cold out? Well, if that's why, then I'm not going to come here in the summer and speak because, (laughs) well, for your sake. Yeah, if it's, you know, temperature, why we wear clothing, when it's hot, we take it all off. That's not why we wear clothes. If you want to know why we wear clothing, we go back to the beginning of the origin of clothing. And guess where it begins? In Genesis. Yep. Yep. Right there in Genesis, we see that Adam and Eve sinned and they became aware of their nakedness. As a result, God takes and kills an animal as a blood sacrifice to cover their sinfulness. I can't say it for sure, but I believe that it was probably a lamb that God killed back there in the garden to foreshadow the Lamb of God that 4,000 years later would shed His blood to cover our sinfulness. We wear clothing because of sin, period. We have a reason to wear clothing, to cover our nakedness. But today, guys, we've made it a matter of fashion. That's all it is, just fashion. That's not why we would wear clothing. Women, here's the thing, if you guys are wearing clothes, simply for fashion, or or, or if your clothes basically frame your body, not your face, there's a problem. There is a reason you wear clothing, to cover your body. Do you know that um, the Bible says if a man even looks lustfully at a woman's body, he commits adultery with her in his heart. That means what a woman can wear can put a stumbling block in the path of the male and cause him to fall into adultery. Matthew Henry, a very popular Bible commentator, says this, Men sin, but devils tempt to sin. That doesn't relieve your responsibility as a male of keeping your eyes from wandering, but nor does it relieve the female of her responsibility of dressing decently. We have a responsibility. You know, guys, why are men singled out there if a man lusts after a woman's body? It's very simple, because a man will uh, fall very easily into the sin of lust. Do you know, statistically, they say that a male will have a lustful thought three to four hundred times a day? A lustful thought. Yeah, I, I see some of the looks on your women's faces like, what? No way. Yeah. All the guys are sitting there twiddling their thumbs. <laughs> yeah, you know, we did a high school Bible study a few years back, and, and I, I brought this point up, and all the girls were like, <laughs> and all the guys were just sitting there real quiet. And I said, guys, uh, the girls don't believe you. They don't believe the statistic. Would you be honest enough here for a moment? You don't have to say who you've lusted after, but would you believe, would you raise your hand if you think that that's a realistic statistic? All but one hand went up. You know, this isn't something that goes away as you get older, right? There's a reason that there's that phrase, perverted old man. (laughs) I was in a Bible study in Oregon one time, and a 70-year-old man said, you mean that's it? Yeah, girls, I'm not asking you to understand this. You're not wired this way. You're not going to be able to grasp this. I'm not asking you to understand it. I'm just asking you to believe it because it's true. Men are looking at you inappropriately, especially when you don't dress the way the Bible says you're supposed to dress. Now, I'm not saying you have to wear robes and, you know, turtlenecks. What I'm saying, though, is that you better make sure that your clothing isn't too tight, your skirts aren't too high, and your shirts aren't too low. You don't frame your body. You frame your face with your clothing. I used to get so frustrated, even as a married man, I didn't want to have eyes that were lustfully looking at other places and other women. But I'd see this woman and she'd have some mini skirt on or something like that. And I'd say, oh, why does she have to dress like that? I don't want to fall into sin. And you women may say, well, then don't look. Well, guys, it's not that easy. As a matter of fact, you know, if I was standing up here and my fly was down, you guys would notice, not because you were looking, but because something is out of place. And because of that, you would notice. Likewise, I'm not looking for, oh, is there a woman with a miniskirt out there? No, but your eyes would just notice it. And the first step, guys, that you have to realize is that's sin to have lustful thoughts. And so, again, men sin, but devils, they tempt to sin. It didn't relieve my feet, my eyes from wandering. and When I recognized that, I would have to take a conscious choice and say, I'm not going to look at that. But why does she have to dress that way? Because I know she's there, I know she's there, and I'm having to constantly think, don't look over there, don't look over there. And worse yet, when you're trying to have a conversation with somebody, after I'm speaking, some women will come up and they've got... You know, clothing that's too low, and it's like, oh man, you're just forcing yourself. I can hardly understand what they're saying because I got to make sure that my eyes are glued to their eyes. That's not right. Now, I am grateful for the grace of God, not only for the forgiveness of that, but because you know what? It's like Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman. Guys, you can make a covenant with your eyes, you can do this too. And you take it to God and you say, God, I don't want to do this. I recognize it as sin. And you know what? He begins to heal our eyes so that we don't notice it so much. And that's what we need to do is recognize it as sin. Recognize that God has given you clothing for a reason. Cover our bodies. And by the way, men, some women do have an issue with that too. So maybe you shouldn't be running around with your shirt off either. Bottom line is we just have to ask ourselves, am I covered? Because God has given us clothing to cover our sinfulness. And God can heal your eyes. I am so grateful. I'm not saying that I'm perfect by any means, but I'll tell you what, He's done a lot in healing my eyes because I've recognized it as sin and I've taken it to Him for help. You see, evolution is destroying our society if you look at it this way if evolution is true there are laws that are just mere opinions, so you really don't have to abide by them homosexuality is an acceptable alternative so why not have marriages we see pornography is acceptable abortion you're just an animal why not kill them anyway just kill them a little early We see that creation, if creation is true, on the other hand, we have laws that we must abide by. Life has meaning. You're not going to be killing babies or yourselves. Marriage has been given to us by God and what a beautiful, wonderful marriage it can be when we understand it the way God intended it to be. Laws come from Him and so we will obey those laws. Can you see the difference? If God is our creator, there's going to be order. If evolution is the, uh, the reason we're here, there is no reason for order. Why not kill your babies if evolution is true? You may say, oh, come on, you can't tell me abortion and evolution have anything to do with one another. Really? Guys, I don't even believe we'd have abortion today if it wasn't for evolution. Yeah, y- you don't. Know, You're going to be taught, maybe, in some of your schools, Iowa State University, 27,000 students were taught that a baby in the womb has what's called gill slits. Our textbooks are teaching our children that a baby in the womb has what are called gill slits. The very improper name, because they're not gills and they're not slits. They're wrinkles that actually turn into the jaw, the glands, and the ear, and they never have anything to do with breathing at all. I've seen guys with all kinds of wrinkles, but they can't breathe out of any of them but the top two. But they're taught that this fetus, they'll call it, God didn't say, and behold, thou art with fetus to Sarah, did he? He said, no, behold, thou art with child. But they will say that this fetus, to, to remove the aspect that this is a living being, will go through a rapid stage of evolution in a mother's womb. Look what these kids were taught at Iowa State University. They were taught during development the fertilized egg will progress over 38 weeks through what is, in fact, a rapid passage through evolutionary history. From a single primordial cell, the conceptus progresses through being something of a protozoan, a fish, a reptile, a bird, a primate, and ultimately a human being. A fact, a scientific fact, shows this is not true. But they're telling your children that that this fetus goes through all these different stages in the womb. So why not kill it? A stretch to tie evolution and abortion? I don't think so. One woman came up to me after a presentation and shared with me that she went to a Planned Parenthood to have an abortion. But she was really struggling with the decision whether she could kill this thing. And so she was taken into a back room and she was told, you're not killing a human being. It's an amphibian at this stage. That's all it is. She had the abortion. Another woman in Iowa told me that her her daughter had this birthmark on her neck. The doctor told her it's where her gills never healed up or, or closed up all the way in development. A stretch to tie evolution and abortion? I don't think so. Many years ago, there was a woman named Susan Smith who killed her children. And everybody was so upset with her. So upset with Susan Smith. Or even in our modern time, more have happened like that. These women who kill their children. We go, oh, what an evil woman. Can I ask you, what is she so guilty of? What was she guilty of? Killing her child? Yet a mother can go into an abortion mill and kill her child and we don't think she's evil? Really, guys, isn't that something? We think that these people are, are responsible or, or, or just, you know, no big deal, killing your baby as long as it's in the womb, but as soon as it's out of the womb, now you're an evil person? Then the only thing Susan Smith was guilty of is bad timing. That's it, just bad timing. I, I mean, guys, every, every reason to have an abortion that people justify it today avoids the real issue of this. What is it inside? Is it a baby? Every one of them. Yeah, think about it. People will say, well, I don't believe in abortion, uh, but I think at times, you know, you have to because look at this family. They have 12 kids already. They can't afford those that they have already. I just don't think that they should bring another one into this world. It'd be better that they not have them. In other words, that's a nice way to say It's better they kill their child. They can't afford those kids. Well, if that's your reasoning for having abortion, then you know what? You teenagers here, you might want to be careful coming home and asking mom and dad for money. Mom, dad, uh, I'd like to go to a movie tonight, but I don't have any money. Sorry, kid, can't afford you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, same logic, right? Can't afford them, why not kill them? But that doesn't, you know, answer the question. What is that inside? How about this, if, if uh, some of you here, a neighbor kid comes over, or your little brother or little sister and says, hey, mom, dad, or whoever, can I kill this? What are you going to ask them? Well, what is it, right? I, you know, if it's a spider, yeah, kill it. If it's a mouse, yes, yeah, step on it, kill it. If it's a kid next door, no, don't kill it. It's kind of important to know what we're killing here, isn't it? If it's a human being inside you, then no. That's why they don't want to have these ultrasounds and whatnot because they know that if a, a mother knows what's inside there and can actually see that baby, chances are they'll have a harder time killing it. Guys, Planned Parenthood is nothing but, but greedy people looking for money. That's what it is. And do you know it even started out? Planned Parenthood started out basically to try and get rid of black people and, and things like that when they were having kids to, to do that. you know that they had a black president? You want to talk about logical inconsistencies. No, this is nothing about planned parenthood. This is all about murder. Guys, these issues, you know, you say, well, I'm against abortion, but we can't have it become illegal because then these poor women are going to go to these back alley abortion mills and, well, they can die. They can can die in there. Guys, you know what? Maybe with that logic, we ought to make bank robbery legal too because, doggone it, those, those thieves, they come out of the bank, they can get shot. Same logic, right? It's dangerous, so let's make it legal. Silly. You know, it's not... We've made life an issue of where you are. You know, a half inch, the mother inside, or the baby inside the mother's womb isn't life, but then you, you have it fully born, and now all of a sudden it's life? If that's the case, if that's what determines life, you might want to be careful what side of the bed you wake up on in the morning. You might want to be careful what side of the street you walk down. Oh, life there, but not over here? That is so Inconsistent. They all avoid what is it? Well, it's life. That's what it is. Psalm 51 5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, from the moment of conception. You were loved by God and in need of a Savior. That is what it's at. And evolu- that's where the, the truth is at. Evolution has made it say, well, this is just non living cell tissues. Yet, we even have partial birth abortions. Guys, it makes no sense. This is life. And if we didn't have evolution telling us all these lies, I think women would know that that's life in there and they wouldn't be killing their kids. You see, the evolutionary termites have just eroded away our foundation. And they keep taking it away, taking it away. And we don't even think it's a big deal, but we're starting to notice that our whole structure is beginning to crumble and collapse. Our doctrines are falling apart. You know, the Institute for Creation Research used to use this years and years ago, and I think it's a great illustration. Two castles, one being built upon the foundation of creation, the other being built upon the foundation of evolution. Evolution. But you'll notice that on the evolutionary side, they're shooting down at our foundation. They're attacking God as creator. They're attacking Genesis. But we're spending our time fighting homosexuality, abortion, pornography, all these different things. That's where we're spending our time. I'm not saying we shouldn't fight these issues, but what I'm saying is big deal. What happens if we get abortion to become illegal? What's going to happen 15 years down the road when new politicians come into office? They're just going to change the laws back because the mindset has not changed. They don't have a godly mindset. We have to attack at a foundational level as well as at the issues if we're going to come to the bottom of truth and we're going to gain any ground here. Because our whole structure, our whole castle is beginning to collapse and crumble. They know they don't have to fight against what we believe on our doctrinal issues. They just have to fight creation. That's it. You'll also notice that we're fighting amongst each other. We can't even agree today as church people. Why? Because, well, all these different doctrines. We can't even be united. Why do we have all these different degrees of understanding? Because we don't believe the Bible is true. Some people say, well, I like this part of the Bible, but not that part. We can't agree that this is the Word of God. It is inerrant and it is inspired. And I know that even with that, there would be some differences, but I think we'd be able to get along. But because we don't have the Bible as our foundation, we can't. And most importantly of all, guys, if there is one thing you take home with you tonight, it is this that I hope you will remember. If you believe the earth is millions of years old, then Jesus Christ can't be your Savior. Now, don't take me wrong, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that He isn't your Savior. I'm saying, logically, if you will think this process through, He could not be your Savior. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. In other words, without death, Jesus' death, having meaning and purpose, you could not be forgiven. That's basically what it says. Well, evolution says these dinosaurs died millions of years ago, 65 million years ago. Guys, that's, you know, humans in their simplest form have only been here about 100,000 years according to evolution. That means death has been in the world well over 64,900,000 years before humans have been on the earth. So let me ask you this, what caused death? What caused the dinosaurs to die? I don't know either. As a matter of fact, they don't know. Because they say death is natural, it's just something that happens. If death is just natural, it's just something that happens. That contradicts the Bible. that says, no, death is the curse of man's sin. The wages of man's sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. How? Through His death. The Bible says man's sin caused death. Evolution in millions of years says death is natural. There's no purpose to it. Well, if there's no purpose to death, there's no meaning to it, then why did Jesus come to die on the cross for you? He could have stayed up in heaven and said, Thou art forgiven, and saved himself a lot of trouble. But he couldn't. Why? Because death has purpose. Because death is meaningful. It is not only the curse of sin, but it is the cure for it. Jesus had to give His life. The very curse that happened in the Garden of Eden, He took upon Himself. You know, thorns were going to come about because of sin, right? Do you know that we have found fossilized thorns, they say, are 325 million years old? Yet the Bible says they came about because of man's sin. Yeah. So what does Jesus do? He wears a crown of thorns for you. It says that you're going to have to work the ground by the sweat of your brow, so He sweats blood for you. It says that you're going to die, so He dies for you. The very curse that came about because of Adam's sin, He took upon Himself. Guys, I could talk all night about the importance of this, but I hope you're seeing the inconsistency. Do you know Richard Bozarth? He was an atheist and evolutionist. This is what he said, and unfortunately he gets this more than most people in the church do. He said this, "'Christianity has fought, still fights, and will fight science "'to the desperate end over evolution.'" Why? Because evolution destroys utterly and finally the very reason that Jesus' earthly life was supposedly made necessary. If you destroy Adam and Eve and the original sin, in the rubble you will find the sorry remains of the Son of God. You take away the meaning of His death if Jesus was not the Redeemer who died for our sins.'" and this is what evolution means, then Christianity is nothing. He gets it. The atheist gets it. I know Satan gets it. If he can get you to doubt creation, then we know that he can get you to doubt the meaning of Jesus' death. He can get you to fall away from Christ. It's that simple. Evolution says it was death and disease that caused man to exist, but the Bible says it was man's existence that caused death to come into existence. You cannot combine those two theories. They're incompatible. Completely incompatible. And everything with evolution is backwards to creation. I mean, the order... You know, they've got water, the Bible says, came first. Evolution says, no, water came millions of years after the earth. They have the sun here millions of years before the earth. We see the earth. Birds and reptiles are backwards. All kinds of things. Guys, you can't put a foot in both worlds. You have to choose this day whom you will follow. Will you, by faith, believe the Word of God? Or are you going to, by faith, believe evolutionists who can't even keep their mind, you know, make up their mind? They're constantly changing it. I hope and pray that as you go out to preach the Gospel, that you are going to take a young earth and a literal Bible as truth with you because if you don't, you are taking the very thing that destroys the Gospel message you're trying to preach. That Jesus' death had meaning and purpose. That is the number one reason why creation is important. Because it means Jesus' death was purposeful and we are now free because of what Jesus has done for us on that cross, conquering death through His resurrection. Remember that. Thank you guys for coming. I hope this has been a blessing to you. And go out and preach the gospel, but remember to take Genesis with you. Have a good night.